And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. Well, it's looking a lot like Christmas, which means we're coming up to the end of the year. This is the weighing in podcast where we are losing our fights the last UFC of the year coming up. We're going to talk about that. We've got Jake Paul taking on Tyron Woodley. Please, Tyron, let your hands go. Put someone on their ass. That's all. That's what I want from Santa. I want Tyron to put him on his ass. That's my that's my Christmas wish list for the year. Josh Thompson, what's going on, my man? You got that beautiful-looking camouflage sweatshirt that I was going to steal from you when we were together, but it wouldn't. But I never took it off. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, I had to wear it for today's special guest, and so, you know, I'm going to let you do the intro on that, but it was kind of fitting, the fact that I came in wearing this today. Yeah, it looks good. I I will say, as we were walking around, you had people actually come in. I love, love your sweatshirt, man. And I, that made me go, I'm stealing that son of a bitch. <laughs> Never man. taking it off around you. <laughs> <laughs> it may fit on just one arm, but that's uh, about it. <laughs> that's it. Well, we are lucky enough that we have a special guest that we're going to talk to for a while. A guy that has been in the sport of MMA for quite a while. Came in with Uriah Faber and Team Alpha Male. Was in the WEC. Set the world on fire for a long time. Had some amazing fights against Jose Alves. Is now going into bare-knuckle boxing. We got the man, Chad Money Mendez. Well, now we are lucky enough to have a guy that has been in MMA. He has stepped outside of it for a while. He does all kinds of stuff. He's a hunter. He's a guide. He's got his own TV damn show about hunting and everything. And now he's coming back to bare-knuckle boxing, the crazy bastard. We've got Chad Money Mendez. What is up, dude? What's up, guys? What's going on, brother, man? I've been that is re- a hell of a set of antlers behind you, brother. Oh, thanks, bro. That, yeah, that's my archery organ bull from last year. Whew. That was a good, good hunt, man. I've been How seeing- big was he? Oh, I think he was uh, score-wise like 310 and weight-wise oh. probably, I don't know, four, five, six hundred 600 pounds. Lots Damn. of meat. Yeah. Nice. I've been trying elk to. Elk is good. I've been trying to now for months to get a hold of you because I've seen all the things that you're doing hunting wise. And then when you heard you sign with BKB, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like you, you got your hands full and everything, but I'm like, why, why this comeback and all these other things. But I want to, want to talk first about your hunting. Talk to me how this all started. I know I heard that you and Clay Guida had started something together with the yeah. fishing, correct? And then it led into yeah. some more stuff or what? How, talk to me about that. Uh, we, me and my business partner started stuff first and then we got into the, the stuff with Guida just a couple years ago. Um, but man, I've been hunting and fishing my whole life. My dad is who got me into it. I would go up and go camping and hunting with my brothers and sisters. And, uh, since I was a little kid all the way up till now, really, but, um, that's, that's where I was introduced. Um, obviously when I went to college, you know, focusing on wrestling that five years of my life, I really had to put it on hold which like ate me alive, man. I loved being in the woods. I loved getting out and just disconnecting. Um, and I just couldn't do it with school and, and training and weight cutting and all that stuff. So um, as soon as I graduated, I moved up to Sacramento, jumped in uh, with Team Alpha Male, Uriah and those guys, and uh, immediately just started putting feelers out up here in Northern California. Like, where's the best fishing? Where's the best hunting? Like, what can I do? And um, that's how I ended up meeting my business partner, Mike, Mike Papa, 
Um, and over the years we had, uh, you know, some good ideas on trying to create something, as you know, when you're done fighting, the money stops coming in. Yeah. So it's like, what can I do? What kind of, uh, business can we make to where I get to do stuff that I absolutely love, you know, travel all over the world, hunt, fill my freezer with great meat, you know, meet people, teach people that have like a lot of the same, uh, respects and love for the outdoors that I do. Um, and make money. Like, how do we do that? So we came up with fins and feathers, uh, which we call like a celebrity outdoor service. Um, it's basically a guide service. Um, the only difference is we put different UFC fighters. We have actors, pro ball players, PBR guys, just a mix of all kinds of different athletes or celebrities that you might, you know, watch in a sport or see on TV. Um, you know, and they go on the trip with these guys. So we'll book a group of clients, say it's a mule deer hunt in Utah. And, you know, one of these guys will go out there or I'll go out there and hunt with them in camp the whole week. And, you know, a lot of times I'm guiding myself. Like we have a pig ranch up here in Northern California where I'm actually guiding clients and just teaching them. You know, we get a lot of first time hunters. We get guys that have been hunting their whole life just to want to mix it up. Different experience. Uh, we do tuna fishing trips out of San Diego where we'll get big groups uh, on, a, on a 90 foot boat and go out there for three days and just catch big bluefin tuna. And, Lots of drinking, way too much drinking. Uh, some <laughs> damn good food. Josh so, and I are in. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're fun trips, man. And, you know, and so we created this, and it's you know it, we launched it in 2015. And uh, you know, one, it's funny. It's funny story actually. Uh, how how I really like what sparked my my uh, drive to get it done right then and there was my Frankie Edgar fight. Um, and you were my ref. Yeah, I so, was. You know, that was something we'd been working on, but I kept saying, let's just hold off. Let's just hold off. I don't want to launch it. We got too much. I got too much shit going on right now. And I lost the Frankie and it was just like a slap in the face. Like, hey, dude, like this, this career is a, a you know, dog eat dog type career. Like I could be done tomorrow. So let's mm -hmm. get this shit rolling now and get this built while I'm still fighting. And then when I'm done fighting, I'll have this to just jump right into and go full bore. So we launched it 2015, right at the end of the year. So 16 was our first full year, had zero idea how people were going to take to it. And uh, we set our full schedule and like tentatively just launched it out there. And boom, we sold out of everything. We're like, fuck, that is awesome. <laughs> so, I'm a businessman. Yeah, this is awesome. So we went through that year, did all the trips, you know, worked out some kinks and just created our next schedule. And just every year since then, we've we booked everything out and just been growing tripwise each year. Um, and two years ago, we teamed up with Guida, mm -hmm. who's a guy that I actually fought, but have always been good buddies with even before we fought, you know, texting each other. He's texting me bass pictures and you know, big fish that he's catching all over the world. And I'm sending him big deer pictures and elk pictures that I've gotten, you know, just always exchanging that type of stuff. And finally, uh, we, we connected, he trains here at team alpha mountain. Like, dude, you love fishing. Like I love hunting. Like, why don't we create something called gills and thrills to where you're taking guys out on fishing trips, but then also pairing it with some type of entertainment, like sporting event or a concert. So what he'll do is he'll date guys out fishing for a full day, whether it's say it's Florida and they're catching big tarpon or Goliath grouper. And then there's a, a ball game or something. He'll get them in um, usually like, you know, some, something like behind the scenes, or if it's a UFC fight, he'll get them to the after party after, um, you know, enjoy the fights. 
So it's that's what the gills and thrills part of it is. And he's basically come under our umbrella under fins and feathers. So we teamed up as business partners and, and been having a damn good time the last few years. That's been cool. You, you said something I want to touch on because a lot of people have different ideas about hunting and fishing and things like that. You talked about mm-hmm. respect for the outdoors, respect for the animals. And yep. that's a huge part with true hunters and stuff. How do you tell, how do you explain to people that have this idea that, oh, you, you, you're just out there to kill something? How yep. do you, how do you talk to them and get them to understand what a true hunter is thinking and the way they feel about the environment, nature, mm-hmm. and the animals themselves? Yeah, man, that's always been a touchy subject and it's getting, I think this next generation, it's getting even more touchy and it's something. So if you guys see this hat, the provider, this is another brand that me and a good business, a uh, good buddy of mine um, teamed up on and, and created. We just created a, um, basically it's a cookbook, but it has tons of wild game recipes in it. And then we, we came up with some rubs and stuff too, for it. They're basically geared towards wild game. But um, the, the, mindset for the provider brand was to keep that tradition, the hunting tradition, the fishing tradition, the love for the outdoors, like you just said, alive. You know, when I first got into the UFC, you know, I had managers and buddies and uh, people telling me like, hey, I probably wouldn't post a lot of the hunting stuff. Like, Mm. you know, you're going to get a a bad rap for that. And at first I listened. I'm like, dude, that sucks. Like, I love this. this is my life. Like living off the land and going out and and, and hunting an animal in their backyard and, you know, taking that meat and fill my freezer and, and sharing that with my friends and my family and living off that through my training camps. You know, it's organic, it's free range meat that, you know, if I were to go buy in the store, cost insane amounts of money. Like I can go out and do it myself. And so, you know, they're like, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't post any of that stuff. So I didn't. And I don't know, I'd say probably a good year or two into it. I finally just said, screw this, man. This is who I am. I'm going to post it and I'm going to spread, spread the word. I'm going to, you know, do my part to keep this tradition alive. And if people don't like it, they can unfollow me, you know? And so I started posting it and man, people hated it. (laughs) People absolutely hated it. But, you know, I'd say probably 95% of comments or anything on any type of hunting post was negative. I hope your family dies. Like, this is ridiculous. Why don't you go to the grocery store and buy your meat like everybody else? Like all that type of stuff. And over the years, I've just, you know, blocked those types of people and, and let the right type of following in. And now it's like, if I post something, I might get one, maybe two comments and say something stupid like that. And the rest is all positive. So I think over the years, trying to spread the knowledge that we're not out there with, you know, chugging beers in the back of a tailgate, you know, truck shooting automatic weapons and just mowing stuff down and laughing and driving off. You know, that's not what hunting is about. You know, hunting is having respect for the animals. Like I respect every single animal I hunt. You know, if I go out and I, I kill an animal, like the reason why I'm killing that is for me to survive, for my family to survive. I'm living off that meat. Um, I, I don't ever just kill it and leave it, you know. And so I think that's the hardest part for a lot of people to understand. They just don't know what hunting is. And so, you know, I think our job as providers is to inform people as, as best as we can and keep, like I said, keep that tradition alive. Um, and that's what we wanted to do with the provider. And um, that's just another whole other business venture we've got going. But, um, you know, it's been it's been fun. Like I, I have two daughters now and I want that generation. I want my daughters to, to grow up knowing what living off the land is about, what it's like and where we come from. 
um, having the respect for these animals that go out there and, you know, know that they're giving their life for us to live. You know, we choose to eat meat, something has to die. Um, and we're not doing it um, maliciously. We're not doing it for the thirst of killing. You know, it's not like I love seeing blood splattered all over me. It's like, you know, a lot of people picture hunting like that. And it's, it's about respect, ultimately. So, um, you know, my daughter actually uh, sat in a turkey blind with me this year for the first time, my two and a half year old daughter. And I was able to get a bow or uh, get a turkey with my bow. And she got to see the whole thing go down. And, and you know, she, she absolutely loved it. She's sitting there on a little stool with the little yogurt pouch in her mouth, just kind of watching like she's watching a movie, all these turkey come in. And when I shoot some, one of a couple of them gobble and she gets excited. And then she understands and I pluck the whole turkey and I show her like how we clean it. And then we cooked it for Thanksgiving. And so she got to see from start to finish why we hunt. And I think that's important for people to see as well. So, yeah, it's definitely something I'm very passionate about, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it, it's something that, like I said, I want to keep passing down from, from generation to generation and keep the, keep the tradition as alive as possible. Man. You couldn't have picked a better name because um, the provider's perfect. That, that should let everyone understand exactly what it's about. I'll give you guys a little rundown real quick is that, you know, I grew up very poor. My dad was an avid hunter. We, when we moved up, when my parents got divorced, I lived up in North Idaho, up in up past Coeur d'Alene. And so my dad would hunt every year and all the meat that he would kill, that's what we would go off of, you know, for the rest of the winter. And so whether it was deer, whether it was elk or bear, whatever it was, but he had a group of friends, you know, that would all try to get tags, you know, and they would all try to, you know, make sure that each other's families got fed. Not, they weren't, we were obviously weren't the richest of people, but it is definitely something that provided, especially because for like myself, I was playing soccer during the, the spring and the fall and I was wrestling during the winter. It was just a long, it was like nothing but sports. Well, you need food, you need, you need food to feed your kids. And so yep. that was one of the biggest things that we relied on. You know, sometimes we'd have, you know, elk in the morning for breakfast with eggs. Yeah. And then again in the evening, you know, for dinner. It's like it didn't matter whatever was available. And so um, you're right. I think 100% it's the provider. People need to start thinking that it's about providing for family. Start remembering that it's about providing for family. Because not mm -hmm. everyone where we live in Northern California, not everyone lives that lifestyle. Not no. everyone's able to live that lifestyle. So in outside of California and outside of, you know, certain areas in the rest of the United States, it doesn't, people don't live like they do in, yeah. in, you know, in New York or in, in San Francisco or in well, LA. Where do they think that meat comes from in the restaurant? <clears throat> yeah. Dude, it's, it's pretty crazy. Like how many people in my lifetime of posting hunting stuff since social media has been big, has they've said, why don't you go to the grocery store? and buy your meat like everybody else and stop killing these animals. No joke, like that's 100% like word for word. And it completely blows my mind when I read that. Like that's that's how disconnected some people are from their food. They just, there's zero face, there's no death. It's like, I don't have to do anything except for walk in a grocery store, buy a piece of meat that's all packaged up, take it home, put it on the barbecue and I'm living happy. You and then they see me go out and kill something and it's like, you're the worst human being on planet earth for killing that animal. It's like, dude, where do you think that steak that you just bought and put on your grill and ate and you took a picture selfie of with came from? You know, it's like the, the disconnect is so real and it it's sad. And that's that's one of the main reasons we wanted to start the provider. Maybe they yeah. haven't seen the price of four ribeyes lately inside the grocery stores. Jesus. It's almost about oh, 80 it's bucks. Right now. It's yeah. about $80 for, for like three or four of them. It's insane. 
And then you're going to yeah. tell me like the, the amount of time you spent out there. Let's say you spend what, two, three days out there, right? Say you get an elk or you get a deer. That'll last for how long? That'll last you for quite a while. I'd say at least yeah, a couple months. Year. At least, yeah, okay, if you'll say a, a year, year, but I'm saying, I don't know how many people you're cutting it up with. Like my dad would yeah. quarter it to some of his friends, yeah. you know, to make sure everyone got a little bit of whatever it was. So yeah, it really depends. Depends on how you break it up. Yep. Yeah. And we have a, I have a real tight group of people. Um, you know, some of the husbands hunt, some of them are just now starting to get into it. Some of them don't hunt at all, but they all love wild game. And so I'm usually that like the wild game dealer. And I'm just like, <laughs> handing it out when I get something like, Hey guys, I just killed an elk. Let me know if you want some roasts or steaks or burger let me know how much. And I, I enjoy sharing that with my friends and family, man. That's to me that there's like, there really isn't a whole lot better feeling in the world than being able to go out harvest this animal and, and provide that type of joy to people and share the health and, and the wealth of the hunt, you know? And so that, like I said, that is something I'm extremely passionate about. I always have been. And I just want that to be passed down to my, my daughters. And, you know, it's, we'll see my, my wife comes from Missouri. Her dad grew up whitetail hunting, um, but never had never hunted herself. Um, and when we got together, she has gone out, killed a wild boar. She's killed a couple wild turkeys with her bow. Um, and she's done it a little bit now, understands and absolutely loves living off wild game, understands where it comes from. So it's cool. Um, and we see this a lot with fins and feathers where people, like you said, from San Francisco or New York or people that have never lived that lifestyle and they see what we're doing with fins and feathers with the provider. And you see guys like Rogan and Cameron Haynes and John Dudley and those guys that are going out and showing, you know, look, I can kill this elk with a bow and arrow or a rifle or whatever it is and live off this amazing meat and showing people the health benefits and explaining the health benefits. The reason why we hunt, you know, there's population control. Things are done um, very calculated. It's, you know, fishing game biologists in certain areas do counts on animals. It's like, okay, this area, we can pull 15 bull elk from this area and that will sustain this herd. If we don't, it'll get out of control, this type of stuff. And that's, that's where all that's regulated, you know, and you have to buy your hunting license, you have to buy a hunting tag um, and you go out and harvest your animal. Then you report it. So they know exactly what's taken in that area. So it's all very calculated, but, you know, being able to, um, you know, show these types of people that have lived in these areas and never hunted, have never seen hunting in their life um, and and bring them out to fins and feathers trips for the first time and like have them hunt. Dude, it is so much fun. Like they're just like a sponge and everything's like the coolest thing that they've ever seen. And it's great being able to explain from start to finish, like teaching them how to stock in on things, playing the wind. Uh, once they harvest an animal, like how to process it and do all that stuff. Um, to me, it's like that. That is basically one of the reasons why we wanted to start Fins and Feathers is obviously the same thing as the providers is passing that down, but just teaching people like someone that's never seen that or, or known that or, or felt what it feels like having your heart beat out of your chest when a big bull elk standing in front of you at 10 yards, you know, and you have to keep your emotions calm and collected and make the shot count, you know, all that stuff comes into play. And that's something I absolutely love to, to pass on. And it's, it's pretty cool. I think some of the issue is, and I've seen this from before, people will see wealthy people out hunting lions or they'll see them hunting mm -hmm. different types of bear or moose or whatever it is, right? And they just have yep. trophy cases of this. And I think that's the misconception that everybody is out doing that. 
That is not the case. You know what Uh I mean? Those are few and far between in people. And I'm not saying that that's right at all. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying is that's the misconception for the people like say from San Francisco or from LA or from New York, from the city life, they go, Oh, I'll never be that person. Well, that's not what it's about. And what you're explaining is what it's more about is like getting newer people from those cities, places and other areas that are not used to being around it to educate themselves on, Hey, this is, this is how you can help feed your family without having to go to the grocery store and spend, you know, $120 on four ribeyes, you know what I mean? Like, and plus without the antibiotics, without all the other steroids and stuff, they put in the meat at the stores to keep it, you know, to keep it from going bad and all those type of things. This is a lot more cleaner and more nutritious way of feeding your family. No, I agree. And I think, um, with COVID, that the whole beef shortage and people starting to realize like things were disappearing off the shelves in stores and they weren't getting put back and people started to freak out like, Oh man, uh, was it, I think it was last year. Um, we had more, um, firearm purchases and hunting license signups, I think than any other year. Um, and it, it was cool how many people came to us would email us or call us through fins and feathers being like, look, I've never hunted before, but with everything going on, I really want to learn how to go out and fill my freezer myself. And that, I mean, I think that's a big slap in the face for a lot of people like that have always looked down on hunting and and thought it was, you know, just nasty murder. And, but it's like, wait a second, shit's about to get real here. Like I'm not going to be able to eat if I don't know how to do this myself. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I think that was a big eye opener. And we had a ton of people last year was at this point, our best year to date. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, there was just so many people fearing that they weren't going to be able to have food in their freezers. Yeah. So they needed to learn how to do it. So, Well, that's how I reached out to you. I said, you know, I've been hunting one time with my dad a long time ago. I never went with him because it was it just interfered with soccer and wrestling as the season went on. It was just like, no. And my dad would be out there for two weeks sometimes at a time, just wouldn't come home. So just me taking, you know, me being home by myself and him being out. And so yeah. I just reached out. I was like, hey, man, we got to get together, brother. You got to take me out hunting. And you're like, yeah, anytime. So this is how this all kind of came about. I was like, I let's get you on the show. Let's talk, man. Hell yeah. I think all of us should go. We could do a trip. We we have some wild boar property. We have like 5,000 acres up here in Northern California. Nice. Up out of Redding. Um, yeah, you're close to me. I'm I'm here in Sacramento, like Auburn area. Yeah, yeah I'm in you're, San Jose. Yeah, yeah. I'm not and far. I'm, I'm working on locking up a big ranch over there. I think it's like three to 5,000 acres that has deer, pig, turkey, and elk. So it's right there out of San Jose. All right. So if we get that locked up, I'm supposed to lock that up. I don't mind coming up, though. It's not that far. Auburn's not far at all. (laughs) Where you at, Big John? I'm in Tennessee now. Gotcha. So it's a little bit of a travel for you, but if you want to come out, we can can make it happen, dude. That'd be fun. Uh, Sounds good, man. I'm I'm sitting here looking at you with your uh, turkey and your daughter standing there. it's oh, a yeah. great picture. It's outstanding. Yeah. They put it up on the screen for us. That's cool. All right. Hands down the best moment of my hunting career right there. I that, can believe that it. That was awesome. And one, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is all the failure that comes with hunting. I mean, because mm-hmm. most of it is failure. Let's just be honest. You go out all yeah. the time, and sometimes you don't see something. Sometimes it's too far. You know, yeah. it takes it takes a lot of patience, presence to do those things. You know, one of the guys that's really gotten into it, Josh Rosenthal, who, you know, kind of yeah. walked away from referee. He, he sends me pictures of just him <clears throat> out in yep. the, you know, on the field looking. And he'll just take pictures of the elk and stuff. He, not not out there to hunt. He just wants to go out there and be part of nature. So yeah. it's a great thing. Yeah, he, he got into archery hunting big time. And he's yep. 
been in a, a lot of uh, Northern California wild boar hunts with his bow. And he recently he's been uh, making bacon for sure. He's been <laughs> connecting with a few nice boars and sending me photos. And I, that's another guy I want to meet up with and get out there and, and do some hunting with. I think he's an awesome dude. Yeah. Um, All right, so, let's let's talk ahead. about your career here. We got to get yeah. into it. Let's talk about when you when you first decided, you know what? I'm done with wrestling, everything. What made you gravitate and say, you know what? I'm going to be a fighter. I'm going to go to Team Alpha Male. I'm going to start training in MMA, and I'm going to be an MMA fighter. What was the thought process? Oh, man. It was my freshman summer going into my sophomore year in college. And my wrestling coach um, at Cal Poly would put, put on a six-week-long uh, wrestling camp up there, the John Hitchcock Azevedo um, wrestling clinic. And he would basically bring all of us as counselors. And then he'd bring in a few other counselors from surrounding colleges. Like Uriah Faber was one of them. He was at UC Davis. And so we'd go up there and we'd stay up there for the full six weeks. Every, you know, four or five days, a new group of kids would come in. But anyways, we would, you know, have our practices outside of coaching. Um, And Uriah was up there that year. And he was training for a fight, which I think he had in just a few weeks. And uh, he came up just to make some extra cash and help out. And so he's trying to train jits and he's wrestling, you know, and he kept, he keeps hurting everybody. Like, you know, Faber, <laughs> Faber's uh, style is very sporadic and explosive and, uh, you know, guys were just not into it. And so nobody wanted to work out with him. And he's like, dude, I'm going to have to like leave soon if, if uh, I can't get somebody to train with me. And I had no idea what I was doing. I trained zero jits or anything like that. And I was like, I'll, I'll roll with you. I don't know what I'm doing, but. We rolled for a few hours, man. Obviously, subbed me like 4,000 times. But after he's like, bro, I think you'd be really good at this. He's like, if you want, you know, finish your college career, you have a place at Team Alpha Mel. You know, I'll have a room and everything for you if you want to train and just try it. So I guess that summer I'd made my mind up like, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. You know, I'm either I'll get my degree. If, if I suck at it, then I'll just go get a job. But if I'm good at it, yeah, I might as well make some money and keep competing while I'm young. So I graduated the next day through all my shit in the U-Haul and moved up to Sacramento and Faber let me move in his spare room in his house. And uh, the next day just jumped right into pro practice with all the team alpha male animals, had zero like training at all, just wrestling. And I'm like, I put, you know, your 16 ounce gloves on a big old stupid headgear and shin guards. And I feel like I'm just like, you know, the marshmallow <laughs> walking out there and I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm just throwing haymakers and just blast double in everybody. Cause that's pretty much all I know. And so, uh, after, after that practice, that first practice, we were all walking to lunch and everyone's like, dude, Chad, your shot is money. And so that's where the nickname money came from it used to be money shot faber's like that's a good nickname let's call you chad money shot mendez so for like my first five <laughs> fights that's what everybody called me and then when i signed with zufa they're just like yeah that's not happening you're not <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh but yeah man it was that's where it all started and uh i i, I trained for like three months had my first pro fight i went out there and subbed the dude in the first round and i was like i think i made like three grand and i was like dude i'm rich there you go (laughs) eat someone up for three thousand (laughs) dollars so i was like let's do it again you know just signed up for the next one and uh, wasn't that a tachi palace 
It was, man. Which I'm from Hanford, California, and that was in Lemoore, which is like, yeah. you know, 10 minutes away or something. But uh, so it was kind of like hometown crowd. It was it was pretty cool. It was really cool. Isn't that, it was outside and, isn't that funny was, how when you leave college and you don't make anything, but all of a sudden you're rich? <laughs> oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I, I bought a truck off my dad. I was like, yeah, like balling, you know, I have a vehicle now. <laughs> Oh man! Good old days, man. When life was simple, I do well, miss as, <laughs> as I recall, all of your fights because all you know, and I wasn't there at the first one, but I knew because everyone was talking about this guy from Team Alpha Male that's just fighting at the Tachi Palace. Yeah. You had like I don't know, was it five or six of your first fights were all at Tachi yeah. Palace, and then you were signed with the WEC. Yep. But you you had a couple. You even fought um, God damn it, he was from Eric oh, Coke. Coke. Oh, yeah. First fight, yeah. Yeah, he's that, that dude was a tough dude, man. Tough dude, yeah. That was like his prime too. I remember he was on a tear, just head kicking and knocking everybody out. He head kicked me actually. It's my stars for stuff. like fifteen minutes of the or fifteen seconds of the fight, but yeah, good times. So, so when then, you go ahead, John. when you look at, I'm sorry, when you look at that time with the WEC. And would you have about five fights in the WC before they switched it over to uh, the UFC? Yeah, I'm not stuff like that. Yes, somewhere. But the WC was it was cool. Yeah. Because yeah, they bought it from Reed Harris and Scott Adams were the guys that started it. That it was up at Tachi Palace. Yeah, I was gonna say it started a little more. Yeah. Exactly. And then you know it got a little bit bigger and stuff, and then Zufa ended up buying it, but. You know, they, they switched things up and they had the, the smaller cage. It was a 25-foot cage instead of a 30-foot cage. They went with the the darker blue and the, the blue gloves and everything with the WC written on them. But at the time, you know, they had the very best lighter weight fighters in the world. You know, you're taking a look. There was a couple guys in Japan that were really good, but the guys in the WC, you know, the 145s, the bantamweights, the featherweights, even the lightweights because – UFC has kind of gotten rid of the lightweights to a point. They were just, they were, they were it. When you were yeah. there, you were fighting the best. Yeah, dude, that, that, those were some of my favorite fight career moments, the WEC. I mean, it, I feel like it was such a tight family. All the people that worked for the UFC, everybody was so friendly and we all got along. Um, you know, everybody helped each other out. Um, all the fighters, you know, obviously, I mean, honestly, even, even opponents, like, uh, you know, I fought Cub Swanson. I'm buddies with Cub now. You know, he's going to come do some of our Fins and Feathers trips. And, you know, there's just so many guys that we all started off there and we're still buddies, you know, even though we don't train together or or hang out much. But, um, man, I, I do miss those WEC days for sure. So a little bit of that history. I have that same type of history with Strike Force, you know, and then you and we went off to the UFC. But then when you look at your career, and you look at, if I look at just your losses, Jose Aldo, Frankie Yeager, if you scroll up there, Dave, and then you got, you know, <clears throat> and then Conor McGregor, which you took on short notice, and then Volkanovsky, who is now the champ. Do, do you have any regrets at all in anything that you did throughout your career? Um, I wouldn't say regrets, no. Um, I feel like I always did what I needed to do, you know, the, Obviously, there was always something that was missing just a tiny bit when it came to those title fights. Um, and even still to this day, I couldn't tell you what that was. But, um, I mean, those are all tough sons of bitches, man. I mean, those are all guys that, 
you know, I think on any day we probably could, could beat each other, you know, and it just takes one heavy hit and, you know, like the fight with, with Aldo, man, that, that first one, two, he hit me with at the bell, dude, that like rung my bell big time. Anytime he touched me after that, I was like, yeah. you know, basically flash going out. So, you know, something like that happens the other way. Maybe the fight's different, you know? So it's just one of those things. It's like, it, you know, those fights, it's a game of inches, you know, and anything could happen at any time. So, um, but no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I have any regrets at all. I mean, I enjoyed that entire time in the WEC and the UFC getting in there and fighting, you know, some of the best guys in the world. Um, obviously I would have liked to have taken home a UFC belt at one point, but you know, ultimately my life doesn't completely center around that. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. Cause I think there are some guys that are completely obsessed with that and it's, you know, eats them up nonstop. And it's like, I, I absolutely love doing what I do now. And I, I thank the UFC and I thank the WEC for helping me grow my brain to be able to do these types of things. But, um, you know, I wouldn't say I have any regrets at all. Man. What was the overall difference between the WEC and the UFC when you noticed that when you guys knew that you were going to go change over to the UFC? Did you notice any difference? Because the crew kind of all meshed together. And then after that, it became one bigger brand because they added all the lower weight classes, which they didn't uh -huh. have before. I, I did notice a huge jump in brand recognition going from the WEC to the UFC. For whatever reason, like the UFC is just like the mecca, you know? even though it's owned by the same company. Like we, I would get asked all the time, Faber too, like, hey, when are you guys going to jump over to the U? When are you going to get signed to the UFC? And it's like, well, it's owned by the same company. People yeah. just didn't realize that. And so when we did make that transition, it was just like social media blew up, like everything blew up, you know? So I'd say that's probably the biggest part of it. But outside of the, the Octagon being bigger, um, you know, it was still, you know, all the people that worked for the UFC at that time, I know it switched a lot of people switched right towards the end of my career. But in the beginning, it was a lot of those people that worked for the WEC switched over and worked for the UFC. So you still had that like family feel with all the people that worked behind the scenes and everyone got along. Um, so other than that, I wouldn't say there was a huge difference, but you know, it was it was definitely fun times. When, when, we, when we look at your WEC career, you had a series of fights. Cub Swanson being one, he's kind of a striker. He's got a... a Good ground game also, but more of a likes to strike, likes to be in the stand-up. But you you had Javier Vasquez, super jujitsu guy, great off his back. And I remember the fight because I used the fight in teaching. It was you were having problems with his guard, the way he was doing things at the time because yeah. he was so good at it. You fought uh, Omagawa when you went to the UFC. He was more of a grappler. And then you fought you know Ronnie Yaha. Mm -hmm. And all these grapplers – and you were getting the wins, and then all of a sudden you had this guy that was this big-time striker because the next one was Aldo. Mm -hmm. was, that a, was that like a shock to your system in that everybody that you were fighting were all these grapplers? And it was the one thing that I looked at going to the fight. I go, man, this is the first killer striker that he's fighting. This is going to be a different type of game for mm -hmm. him, and I don't know if that is going to be the difference in it, but it could be. If he can't get him down, this could yeah. be a problem. Yeah, I mean, I think Aldo was probably the most vicious striker at that point in the UFC. I mean, one of them. Oh, no Everybody doubt. feared that guy's leg kicks. I remember when he fought Faber, he just destroyed his leg. Oh. You know, he's explosive, he's powerful, he's fast, you know, and he's technical. So, yeah, going from fighting all these other guys that were, uh, 
mainly grapplers. Some of them are, you know, okay strikers, but obviously nobody's on all those level. It was, it was something that I took very serious, man. I trained very hard for that fight. I felt really good going into it. You know, I was still very young in my career that first time we fought. Um, but I felt, I felt good, but obviously, you know, he's got, he's got some sneaky tricks up his sleeve, man. That, that knee coming off a, a, a hand fight, turn around to a knee, like, who throws stuff like that? It's very rare that you see stuff like that. How do you train for that? So it's like, you know, that that right there was something that, you know, it sucks to say, but I'm I'm glad I at least got caught with something like that that was sneaky and something you don't really train for than like a right hand, you know, something that's pretty common, you know. So, um, you know, that first fight with him was a big eye opener. Um, went back to the drawing board, really focused a lot more on my stand up. Um, and then came back on a tear, man. I, I think I knocked out, oh shit, what was it? Four guys in a row. I, I'd have to look at my record. I can't really remember, but knocked a bunch of dudes out in a row. Um, started really letting my hands go and figured out, um, what works for me, um, and figured out the things that didn't work for me and just completely rounded off my game, I believe. And I got back in there and just started letting them go. So it was definitely an eye opener for me for sure. Yeah, you had that series after that fight, you know, because that was your first loss in your career. And it's it's tough because when you go through all of those fights and you have success after success and everything's building, how bad was it for you? Did it? I mean, everyone deals with loss in a different way. I always tell fighters, look, if, if you lose a fight, big fucking deal, man. It's, that's the worst thing that happens in your life. You got a great life. Don't worry about it. You're doing great. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. It, it sucks, dude. I, I'm very competitive. I hate losing at anything like, that's, that's, even a board that's game, all obviously. of us <laughs> but yeah but you're right man it's um you know that's something that Faber was always really good at was putting things into perspective yeah. you know it's and what you just said is basically what Faber uh relayed back to me and really opened my eyes to that too it's like look dude so what you lost the fight it's you know it's a guy that is a champion right now and and nobody's been able to touch you know, it was a, it was a crazy weird knockout that it's not like something, you know, you could have really trained for, um, or expected. Yeah. Or expect. It's just one of those things. Uh, he got you. So, um, you know, you pick your head up and you get back in there and you, you keep training just as hard as you have been. And, and life is still good. You know, favorite, favorite always had a saying, you're living the dream. We're all living the dream. Like team alpha male was all about living the dream. You know, you come out of college, you got some of your closest buddies all living in houses together and training together and, you know, hanging out together and, you know, winning and losing together. You know, we're all in it together, um, you know. And, and so I think having that mindset of, you know, look, this is this is the good life. This is what a lot of people in the world strive to, to find. And we're living, it. you know, we we're making money doing something we absolutely love to do. We're competing. You know, we're training and we're getting paid to basically train and be in shape and get in there and compete. So, you know, he put put that type of stuff into perspective and it really makes you step back and look at life. And he's right, man. This is yeah. living the dream. So <laughs> yeah, complain too much. you get back in there and you, you get after the next one, hopefully get a win and keep moving forward. When you took the fight with Connor, he was supposed to fight Aldo. Aldo yeah. and him, that was the big buildup. They'd done everything. And then all of a sudden Aldo pulled out and it was only about two weeks that there was between the moment when he pulled out and when that fight was supposed to take place and you jumped in and you took it. What was your thought process in taking that fight? 
And how much did you guys, how long did it actually take you to say, yeah, I'll take it when uh, it came down to it? Yeah. So I had just fought Aldo that second fight a few months before that. And that was hands down the hardest fight of my life. Like I pissed blood that night when I got back to the hotel, <laughs> like my body hurt from head to toe. My hands hurt, my ribs hurt, my arms hurt, my knees, my legs, my feet. Like I could barely walk. It was just like, you know, we got back to the hotel that after media and everything and the sun was coming up in our hotel, right? When we walked in the door and it's just like, dude, that was, that was a hell of a night. But it's like, so I was still trying to recover. I wasn't in the gym, just letting my body kind of recover from that for a month or two. Um, and then that's, when I was really focusing on fins and feathers and still trying to grow all that. So letting my body heal, trying to grow this brand, not really doing like championship fight training at that time. And I get a call like, Hey, all those out. Will you fill in? It's like, dude, we're 10 days out from this fight. I got to cut like 25 pounds and I'm not in fight shape. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was one of those things I went back and forth on, but you know, obviously it was, Big money at the time, the biggest money that I'd ever made in a fight, and it was for a title. So it's like, you know, who knows? Maybe I go out there and catch him with an overhand right and put him to sleep, and now I'm the champ. So it's like, how do you turn that down, you know? And so I don't know, maybe a day or two, probably not even that. It was probably a day. We slept on it, and then I was like, fuck it, let's do it. Let's do this. So ended up taking a fight, jumped right into training as hard as I could. First day of sparring, I got a a southpaw, a tall southpaw. It's Mike Mallott who now fights in the UFC. And, you know, standing there, I throw an inside leg kick. He checks it and I catch it right on top of my foot and just, I ended up fracturing my foot. And I'm dropped to the ground. Like, for, so, like, if you guys ever watched the uh, lead up to that fight that the UFC filmed and everything, I'm doing all swimming workouts, basically. Swimming and just like, it's because I couldn't walk on my foot. I'm just trying to, like, do anything to work out to try to lose this weight and try to get some type of cardio built before. So for about five or six days of that 10 days, I couldn't barely even walk. And I was just popping tons of ibuprofen. Uh, after a while, I could finally start moving on it a little bit, started getting into motion and movement type stuff. Um, ended up cutting the weight and showed up to fight. But uh, I had about a, a round and a half of gas in my tank. And then it did, it was just, that's pretty much it, which sucks. You asked if I had any regrets. Um, if I did have any, um, it's, I just wish that I could not even a regret, but if there was a, a redo on anything, I wish I could have that fight over, man. That's a fight at that time. If I had a, a full training camp, I know that would have been a fight I would have won, you know? Yeah. It's, if you, if you look yeah. at the way you fought him and look at the way the first round went and just realizing how you, how he tends to slow down when he has to wrestle yeah. and your ability to control people from the top position and the amount of damage you did in that first round yeah. was just nasty in terms of like, you knew that he, there was no way he was getting up and you see yeah. where he's at now. <clears throat> I could see why you would want that fight back. Yeah. You know, and I think he's gotten a lot better um, at getting off the bottom, but at that time in his career, like, he was okay. Like he was close guard like, to me at that time in my career, that was an easy fight. Like I loved mm. when I would take a dude down and he would just hold. I'm like, all right, yeah. I'm just yeah, put me up. right where I want to be. Yeah, exactly. Like you're not going to try to get up. I don't need to try to fight to hold you down too much. I'm going to just stay on you this whole round. Like those are easy fights to me, you know? And it's just, I, I just wish I had more gas. Like I think I would have been able to do that the whole fight, but you know, it is what it is. But 
uh, yeah, I, th- I think if there was any fight that I could redo that in the Frankie fight, <laughs> I, do, I do want that one over, man. That was, that was one I trained really hard for and knew that I could beat, you know, it's a type of guy I knew I could beat, but just he got me that night. So, but on there, but now that you're kind of stepped away, you've stepped away from the MMA world of all this. Does there like in terms of do you look at other fighters that are still fighting? Because you brought up Frankie, you look at Cub Swanson, you look at other fighters that are still fighting. You look at them and go, man, we were we all kind of came up together. You guys yeah. are still doing it. Do you feel like maybe you got out too early? Is that why you're potentially coming back for the BKB? Or is it just like, hey, this is a different type of thing that kind of motivates me? It's a it's a mixture. Um you just touched on it there at the end. It's something completely new. You know, it's um, you know, when I went from wrestling my whole life you know, like the, the amount of improvements you make each year are so tiny that it's like, it kind of, not gets boring, but it's just kind of, you start getting through and going through the motions, you know, it's, and then you jump into something that's brand new and it's like all exciting all over again. And it's like, oh, this is awesome. I'm like soaking everything in like a sponge and I want to learn. You kind of get obsessed with it. And that's, that's what MMA was after wrestling. And then MMA kind of got to that point where it's like, all right, we're just kind same of thing. Little tiny improvements. Yeah, uh-huh. and so you know, I, the main reason why I stopped fighting was it just wasn't worth it with the UFC. The pay wasn't worth the damage I was putting myself through. The amount of dedication, the amount of weight cutting, the amount of all that stuff. My contract at the time to me wasn't worth it. Um, and so I was like, look, I can go make this type of money doing stuff in the outdoor world and not get punched in the face that you enjoy. Uh, I'm done. Ding. So this is. Do you look at it like this though? In like fighters that make you're 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 kind of at that stage where you can't you can make a lot of money, but you can never go backwards. That's the problem. Like Chad, you were at the yeah. top. Like I look at Frankie Edgar, I look at BJ Penn, all those guys. No matter what, for the amount of money you guys were making, I maybe it wasn't a lot, but you'd already fought mm-hmm. the best guys. You can't go yeah. backwards. You know, and if you're going to yeah. get paid the amount of money you want to get paid and you want to get paid more, you have to fight the best. So that's why when I see young talent like Sean O'Malley or other fighters are like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tom Aspinall. He's like, no, I'm going to slow play it. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to wait for my contract to go up before I start asking for the top level fighters. But yeah. you you came from an era where there was none of that. There was only a handful yeah. of the best guys and you got up there quickly and you got stuck yeah. fighting for the amount of money you got. You were getting paid. Yeah. I think the, the major mistake that I made, which was probably my fault, was I signed an eight fight contract. And so, you know, you know, when you get to the top of your weight class, you're fighting once a year, pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes twice a year, but usually it's like once a year. So that's a long time that, that contract is set in play for me to, to fight it out. You know, when I signed it, it was decent money. It wasn't like the best money, but it was decent at the time. You know, now, Mm -hmm. I mean, that contract is just, it's like I said, it's just not worth it. You know, and you know, if the UFC were open to being like, look, we'll scrap that and revamp you. That's one thing, but I've never heard that. And, you know, so I still, I think I still have three, maybe four fights on my contract. I think there's three left. And it's, you know, for me, it was like, look, like I said, I can go make this money doing other things that I love to do in the outdoor world. So I'm, you know, it's been a good run, but. You know, I'm at the time, what, 34? I think I was 34 years old. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm, I'm just going to go do that, man. It's just, it's not worth, worth the yeah. damage to me. So I hung him up. Well, immediately, you know, not immediately, but the last probably year and a half, two years, bare knuckle, 
has been like banging on the door. Like, Hey dude, we really want you. We think you'd be exciting in this bare knuckle boxing. You know, we really want you to come in here and just try one. And I, at first I was like, no, I'm done fighting. Like I'm doing well with this stuff. Like I don't, I don't need it. And, but there's always that like competitive side of me. That's like, well, maybe it might be a little bit fun. You know, yeah. <laughs> so I just kept saying, no, it was more the wife's like, look, I really don't want you to get back into it. And so that was kind of like the deterrent, you know, and they just kept throwing different amounts, different amounts, different amounts. Finally, it's like an amount that's higher. It's a contract basically higher than any UFC contract ever got. Wow. Um, and it's like, all right, I'll, I'll get in there and try one. Let's go do this. So, you know, it, it has that excitement because it's completely new. Um, you know, obviously the pay is really good and, you know, I'm still young enough. It's not like I'm 45 years old trying to jump back into it. You know, I'm still in my prime. You know, I feel like when I'm training, I'm just as good now as I was, you know, three, four years ago. So why not give it a shot while I can still do it and, and do it well and make the money and get, get out. So, um, you know, I, I finagled and talked the wife into allowing that to happen. <laughs> she wasn't too happy about that, but. Yeah. Uh, we we got it. So I'm going to go see how this fight goes. We just um I think we can talk about it now. Yeah. Uh February 18th, uh Seminole Hard Rock in in Miami is what they're saying. So um you know who you're fighting? Yeah. Uh I think I I like I said I don't know if we can talk about it or not, but I'm just going to tell you anyways. It's uh <laughs> famous is his nickname. Uh uh Alvarez. So I'm trying to think of his first name. I'm drawing a blank on it real quick. Joshua Alvarez. <laughs> yeah, a pro sure. bo- he was a pro boxer. So okay. um, should be pretty exciting to get in there and compete against somebody that this is their sport. You know, like I'm a wrestler, I'm a grappler, and I get to get in there and fight a pro Yeah, boxer. but okay. okay, have you looked at the actual rule set for bare knuckle boxing? Yeah, it's perfect for me. Okay, <laughs> because you are allowed to clinch and hit with a hand. Oh, yeah. So you can, yeah. you can use a single collar tie. And bring yeah. the uppercuts. You can do that's all legal oh, stuff, and they're yeah. supposed to allow you to go. So when you talk to that referee before the fight, you say, "Hey, I'm allowed to do this. You're going to let me do this, right? Just put it in their head." Yeah, yeah, no, no okay. I, I think it's perfect. A two minute round, so I can be explosive, fast. You know, I think the pressure of pushing these guys up against the ropes, like you said, collar tying and just ripping on the body, ripping on uppercuts, fighting you know, over unders and ripping out and punching like a lot of, especially a boxer, he's not going to be used to that stuff. No. And in fact, his last fight in bare knuckle, he fought a grappler and the guy, that's how the guy beat him. Mm-hmm. You know, on the outside, the guy's quick and he's throwing all his, you know, fancy boxing, you know, flashy stuff. And the guy would just pressure him and, and he would basically, didn't know what, <laughs> you know, the guy's hey. just caught kind and beating the shit out of him, you know? So, um, you know, I think it's perfect for my style. And I think that's another thing that makes me so excited about it. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's boxing, but it plays into my world a little bit. I think just enough to make it. Does. it so, yeah, we'll see, man. Have you been watching any of the, the Dorito chip challenge, uh, you know, fight stuff? What's it, what's it called, John? The triad. Chip, triad. We call, we I, call call it, the, I call it the, the Dorito, the Dorito <laughs> ring, man. They need Doritos to sponsor that some bitch. Have you seen any of those type of fights? And then when you're watching the BKB fights, What's your take on the fighters that are now like you know they've decided not to fight MMA anymore and now they're going to the to boxing and they're they're challenging themselves in different ways. That's more of a motivational thing. But what's your yeah. take on the whole the whole thing and the avenue for those fighters to go ahead and start making money in other areas? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm one of those guys, you know. I still have fights on my UFC contract. I could go fight those out. I just choose not to. You know, actually, the UFC is actually being really cool and letting me go make this money. They could say no, you know. So the fact that they're allowing me to go make some money to beat up a few guys in bare knuckle is really cool. Um, but, no, I think it's cool for MMA guys to start making their way over to boxing, especially if they're getting paid way more. You know, why not? You know, it's, it's great for us. Going from, at least for me, training so many different disciplines on the daily to just focusing on one thing. Basically, <laughs> two. I still do strength and conditioning, but, you know, boxing every single day. I feel like I, I see so much more improvement in such shorter amounts of time. Instead of having to focus a little bit here on Muay Thai, a little bit on jiu-jitsu, uh, wrestling, you know, doing your strength and conditioning, you know, and just all these different things that you have to You don't look about. like you've lifted a weight since you've left fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I, know. I mean i put on probably about six pounds and I'm, i mean i'm guessing it's probably not cutting weight every you know cutting down to 145s every four or five months six months so he's getting he's getting yeah. rid of the money the money part since he can't use uh, the the dude, double leg the money's gone we're gonna go with chad jacked Jesus. <laughs> it's it and before i decided i was going to even do bare knuckle it was you know, running and lifting weights. I'm like, oh, this is, this is nice, man. I don't have to go in there and get punched in the head. I don't have to like, like redlined where I'm about to puke. I'm just yeah. going to go for a, you know, four or five mile jog and then go pump some iron. This is what, this is what the civilian life's all about. I love it. People ask me all the time, Hey, do you, go, do you ever get the itch now? You go to see people making money in yeah. Triller and the, in the Dorito chip uh -huh. thing and BKB. I'm like, I get no itch whatsoever yeah. at all. <laughs> It doesn't it, like it doesn't even like it doesn't even look fun to me anymore. I'm like, nah, yeah. I'm good. Josh, man. Josh walks by a cage and does this. <laughs> it's it's Chad, I did it for so long, man. I think yep. about it. I had my first fight and I think in 97, you know, before the Internet was even around, like before the, yeah. the websites even started keeping track of fights. And it just wasn't fun to me. It just didn't like it. Now I look back and I'm like, God, it just doesn't look fun anymore. I loved it back then. I couldn't wait to fight. Making 150 bucks a fight or $300 a fight. I thought I was rich. You made three yeah. grand. I made yeah. 300. Like, it was, that's what the difference you paid was. paid for your first fight. I what paid, are you talking about? I paid $25 yeah. for my first. I paid 25 bucks just to show up at some whole podunk gym. I paid 25 yeah. bucks for my first fight. Dude, that's crazy. You know what yeah, I mean? I'm, that's how dumb it is. Like, I look yeah. back now and I'm like, gosh, what are we doing? And yeah. you, you left and you're, you're, you wiped your hands clean. And now you're bringing your ass back. I'm like, what are you doing? What, I'm going to go fight some pro boxer. What are you doing? I, I felt the same way uh, after my UFC. Like after I retired, I was just like, I am done. And I, I felt like that. In yeah. in my probably the last two fights, three fights in my in my UFC career, I was like that. Like I just, it wasn't fun for me anymore. I was going through the motion. I didn't enjoy going through the pain, which makes it even harder, you know? And so it... And that's one of the reasons too. I decided, like, look, I I'm gonna get hurt in here if I'm if this isn't something that I enjoy and I'm like looking forward to and like putting my full effort, heart, and soul into this. This isn't like a desk job, you know. Like, yeah. I could get hurt, so I'm out. You know, the pay wasn't worth it. I didn't have the love for it, and I stepped away. Well, two years goes by doing all these other things, and you know, obviously, I'm still keeping up with it. Not so much of the UFC, but just. You know, I've been obviously watching a lot of boxing. I love Canelo. Um, it, it, there's still that spark there, man. And if 
if I have that desire and the ability to do it and I'm still young enough, like I, I, I'll do it. You know, if yeah, the if ability to do it, the ability wasn't there, like what you're talking about, I, I would have let my life, my wife talk me out of it. I wouldn't have done it, but it's still something that I feel passionate about. Like there's still a little bit of that spark there. And I want, I mean, why not? I'm going to go out there and try, you know, like I said, it kind of goes back to my first fight in UFC or sorry, in, in MMA. Like if I suck at it, I have all this other stuff to fall back on. You know, I don't, it's not a make or break. This is kind of like a bonus. And it's something that is fun for me. And, you know, it's going to be an experience. If if I suck at it and I hate it, then, you know, that will go back over to the other stuff. Well, you talked about the ability to do it. And that's a big thing because when you hit 44, 45, 47, whatever yeah. it is, a lot of fighters lose that. They don't, they don't have that ability anymore. And you don't want to look back and be like, man, I could have done it for one fight. Just to try it, see where I was at, yeah. see if you have any success. And that's a – you don't want to have that regret. Knowing exactly. that you were a, right. your your ability was there, mm -hmm. yeah. so I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I might absolutely hate it. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I might I might be talking to you guys here in like March and being like, "Dude, that was horrible. I'm never doing that again." <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Uh, you know, the one thing that you hear, hear the one complaint I consistently hear, especially from regulatory commissions about bare knuckle boxing, is. They keep on bringing back guys that shouldn't be fighting. You're not one of those guys. At 36 years of age, you got a lot left. Even when Artem Loboff was doing it, he had he had stuff in the tank. He fought Jason Knight, who absolutely yeah. young enough. He's got stuff in the tank. Brutal. Yeah, we watched you know the triad, the Dorito Chip Challenge. That was like Mike Perry, who he's young. He still has fights left yeah. in the tank. Even Derek Campos. But we also saw some other fighters in there. It's over. Yeah, and there has to be that point where someone has to tell them no more. Yeah, and, and I, it, it is it is the one thing that you look at with all of these. Like a bare knuckle boxing is bringing a lot of MMA guys, some that are young and healthy and can still do this, and some that you look at and you go, he's been damaged too much. Yeah, I agree, man. And that's ultimately that should be up to the commission. I mean, that's their job to look at a guy. I think. And be like, look, we're we're not gonna license you. Like you've you've been in this game for too long and you've taken way too much damage. Yeah. You're not you're not able to do this anymore. Um and there was a guy that they were they were trying to get uh to accept the fight with me for bare knuckle, and they're like, I don't know. That's basically what happened. Like, I don't know if he could even get licensed at this point. Mm. So, you know, it's it and you is don't want you don't want to as a as a fighter like you're saying, you don't want to fight those guys. Like no, you, yeah, it does nothing for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a so. tough situation to be put in because the commissions, I know that they want to make sure that these guys can make money, but you've got to start also looking at the fact that long-term effects on top of the yeah. fact that the fighters are not the fighters, but the fans aren't getting what they're, what they're paying for, you mm -hmm. know? So you got to look at, I think both ways. Now, I don't know. John Hatt deals with the commissions a lot more in depth than, than you or I would probably ever do, yeah. but it's, that's really what it comes down to is making sure that the long-term effects are for safety for these fighters. And yeah. some of these fighters don't like Derek Campos's fight and Mike Perry's fight. That, that shit, I would pay for They're that on shit. Fire. They were on fire. Those fights were so fun to watch. And I can't mm -hmm. imagine your fight's going to be any damn different. Like I would <laughs> love your fight, watching your fight. And I actually think Hector Lombard, he's still got a ton left in the tank. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. guy can fight, man. And yeah. so when it, I think this whole bare knuckle thing for him is really like he does that say, that's his training in the gym yeah that's yeah. his that's his that's the way hector trains in the gym so let's so, just be 
Yeah, uh, I, I think it's right up his alley, and he's, it's definitely it's feeding right into what he does best, you know. So there's fighters that I can still continue to do this and make a ton of money, and I'm happy for them, you know. And you being another one, just coming in, just dab your foot into it a little bit, like you said. Yeah. Maybe by March, we'll know whether you like it or not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we'll see, and, that, and that's that's what's so great about I think the position I'm in with the UFC and with this is that we have the provider, we have fins and feathers, we have gills and thrills. Um, we have American Almond Beef. We have all these other companies that are doing well that it's not something that I'm like stressed, like, oh, fuck, I got to get in there. I got to win this fight, man. I need this money. Like, I got to pay my mortgage. It's This is all bonus. This is fun. And I think having that part of it, the making it fun is what's going to separate it. You know, it's it's not something like when you're first starting out in the UFC or whatever, where it's like, I got to make this money. I got to pay my coaches. I got to, you know, pay rent or whatever it is. Um, it's just a bonus, man. This is going to be fun to get in there, compete again, you know, fight, test myself. Like I'm still in, in my prime. Like I said, I, f- I feel like I am, um, and just get in there and have some fun. So we'll see, man. We'll talk again in, in the March. In, in the <laughs> there you go. We will. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. we will. <laughs> uh, um, all right. Well, Hey, before I wrap this up, man, is there anything else you wanted to plug, you know, we'll get websites and like that. And we can actually have podcast day, put it down in the descriptions also. Nice. So we make sure people can click on the link to get in touch with you for bookings and everything yeah. for fins and feathers and for clay guidos as well. I'm sorry. The name's gills and thrills gills and providers for all that listen, stuff. Dude. So yeah, the whole yeah, list man. is there. So we'll, you know, is there anything you want to plug? No, just, I talked about a little bit American Alma Beef. Uh, that's a, a new company that we started um, here locally in Northern California. Um, just a quick little rundown. Basically, it's a grass-fed beef, no hormones, no antibiotics, no soy, no corn. Um, and we finish them on a almond, um, uh, basically an almond feed for the last 100, 150 days. So basically, the feed in it has a bunch of almonds, fresh almonds off our orchards. And that high-fat content uh, just really makes that meat tender, gives it a really good buttery flavor, adds a good marbling. Um, and so it's, for us, it's the next best thing compared to wild game. You know, obviously I can't sell my wild game and I get yeah. hit up all the time. Hey, can I buy some milk off you? So we wanted to create something that we can sell to the public. That's like the next best thing. So that's why we created American almond beef, uh, American almond beef.com to direct to consumer. Basically we do, you know, you go on there, you pick out your cuts, pay for it and it'll get shipped to your your house frozen or we have a storefront in gridley california if anyone wants to run in and grab some fresh steak so um other than that we talked about fins and feathers the provider brand um we do have a huge contest going on right now if anyone's interested we're giving away a brand new hoyt bow uh new trigger grill yeah so any rub uh, order rubs or um with the cookbook if you buy cookbook you get entered and we're going to start giving away gifts and the grand prize of those two um Yeah, so nice. we're doing that before Christmas. So if anyone wants to get in there. All right, guys, if you guys heard that, we're going to put the links in the descriptions down below. You guys can click on the links. You guys do some shopping, book some times with Chad and some of his coworkers and have some fun, man. And so, uh, hey, buddy, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Sorry I lost you guys for a little bit. John got to speak silently with you without me interrupting for at least a good four or five minutes. And (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) Uh, But, John, you got anything else for me, buddy? Thank you guys for having me on Hey, I just want to tell you, brother, you've always been an awesome competitor. I love watching you. Good luck with the bare knuckle boxing, and I will set you up with my nephew for yes. a hunting thing somewhere in Flagstaff. He is brilliant. You'll love him, and you'll have a lifetime friend there. Hell yeah, dude. I appreciate it, man. I always uh, love seeing you in the, in the octagon and 
knowing that Big John's going to be the ref. So uh, thank you for all your years of of hard work. Dude, that's being a ref is I wouldn't want to fucking do it. I'll tell you that much. Harrison, I don't want to do it either anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you guys for having me on, man. It, it means a lot. I really do appreciate it. And if you guys want to chat again in the spring, I'm more than welcome to jump on with you. Yeah, we want to chat after your fight, man. We're going to see, how, we see what you think. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Good luck to you, brother. Talk soon, bro. Awesome. Thank you, guys. All right, guys. We want to thank one of our sponsors, mybookie.ag. Use that promo code Wayne in. John and I have been giving you guys and dropping you guys a lot of knowledge on some of these fights. And if you guys would have listened to us last weekend or for last night's fights, you would have also noticed that we probably made you a lot of money. So if that's the case, and also we talk about Glover and we talked about Glover and how he was going to win the in-between round bettings, all of those things, our knowledge that we drop for you is basically so to help you make money at mybookie.ag. Use our promo code Wayne in. You get a little extra spending cash with that little QR code right there. Okay. And that will give you some money that you guys can put down on listening to our advice. John, we're pretty good at giving advice. I'd say we're, we're doing pretty well these days, aren't we? Priceless. Priceless is our advice. Let's be honest. So take our knowledge and do what you want with it. There's also football betting odds. There's basketball. There's tennis. There's all sorts of betting odds for everything. We obviously talk to fights because that's our knowledge of expertise. But go to mybookie.ag. Use that promo code Wayne in. They'll give you some extra cash on us. All right. Well, that was a that was a great interview with a guy who you know the best part about Chad when you look at him, man, he's set. He knows what he likes to do. He knows what he wants to do, and now he's just fighting because hey it's still going to be fun for me it's not something i have to do and i love to see when guys transition their lives away from fighting to a point and they start opening up those other doors they get other interest and he's successful with those and now he can try to be successful with the bare knuckle box like chad why <laughs> like why <laughs> it looks so painful i was like i have no desire to get hit in the face especially without gloves on like what are you talking about no, I mean overall though, I you know when we had, I had reached out to him for a while, I just saw him doing some things, you know, in terms of his hunting, what he's done. I heard he had joined with Clay Guida and doing something with him, and I was like, you know what? What I want to see is he really done? Is there something? Because he always posts videos of him hitting mitts, of him doing some wrestling drills, of him, you know, whether it's lifting or doing cardio. I just kind of follow him a little bit and just kind of see where he, where his mindset was, and I finally was able to get in touch with him, and I said, hey. You know, let's not, let's have you on. It was actually right after he had signed with uh, BKB, and I was like, let's get you on, let's talk, let's chat. And he's like, I'd love to. So I said, when you get a fight announcement, when you're ready, you know, let us know. And I go, and I reach out to him probably about another two weeks ago, and I said, hey, how about soon? He's like, yeah, actually, I got something coming up. I'm like, all right, cool. So we were blessed enough that he dropped it on our show. We feel very thankful for that, and uh, I love I love everything he's doing. You know, understanding what it's like to be a provider, understanding what it's like that there are a lot of people there's different ways that they provide and hunting and fishing and all of those things is a way that people provide for their families. Not everyone lives in a lifestyle, you know, a lavish lifestyle that can afford to, to do things a certain way. And so it's nice. It's nice to see him do things uh, the right way after he's done fighting still as bright as a whistle, man. And just, I love it, man. I love everything he's doing. So. Yeah. It's a, it, it, there's going to be people no matter what. They're, they're not going to like someone because they're, they hunt or things like that. But you got, you got to look and see, you know, I started a farm with my daughter and you know, when I, when I'm plowing, plowing fields and stuff like that, I'm like, man, I, I hate to say it. I think I'm killing animals. Cause I got gophers and mice and rabbits and everything going all over the damn place. And it's like, I'm planting fields. This is for vegetable. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think you can get away with it. It's just part of the way life is and stuff. And you just have to understand it. 
And I hope, hopefully people are open to understanding if you're a hunter, it doesn't mean you're out just killing. Yep. Very true. Well, hey, uh, that kind of wraps up this portion of that show, but uh, Dave's going to get us, uh, we're going to get into some new UFC uh, fights for this weekend. So let's talk about what we got Derek Lewis and Dacus coming up this weekend. John. Should be a fun fight. The last one of the year. No, but it should be a fun fight. It should be a good fight. You just got to be very careful. It should. This, it's very. It's careful. actually a really good card. Yeah. You, you look at this coming off of you know two sixty nine was a phenomenal card. They you know great show, but this is a really good card. It's got some interesting fights on it. It's got fights that you go. That's really a good matchup. And the the main event itself, I love watching Derek Lewis fight. He's fun. Is he the most technical guy out there? No, he's not. You know, but he's just fun. He's he, when he gets on the mic, he's fun. <laughs> Beforehand, after, doesn't matter. And when he goes in, look, he goes in to try to take your head off. Yeah. And so I always appreciate that. Can he get tired? Yes, he can get tired. You know, can he be beat? Yes, he can be beat. But Dawkins is a pretty skilled guy in the stand-up. He's gonna have his hands full, and if he gets hit. By Derek, it's going to hurt him. And if he ends up underneath Derek Lewis in this fight and he is on the ground, stand by. If you don't get your ass back to your feet, you know, we're talking about the, the three S's. Your butt hits the ground. You are looking for the submission. You're looking for the sweep or you're looking to stand. And if you're not doing those things, you cannot allow Derek Lewis to be on top of you for long. Yeah, he just possesses so much power. And I think his his body frame and the way that he is able to when he does get on top is to deliver just one or two blows. That's all it's going to take. And you're going to be waking up someone standing over you going, Hey, fight's over. Okay. Medic's in here to look you over real quick. And we're going to go ahead and sit you up on a <laughs> stool, buddy. And that's kind of what it's come down to every time someone has hit the ground with him and where he's on top and not on bottom. Uh, but overall though, I think you've got to be, I think doc is going to be very careful about how he approaches this fight, especially in the early rounds. I would probably start just picking and choosing his shots by the third round, fourth and fifth round, as Derek Lewis has been known to slow down throughout the fights. And if I wouldn't even be yep. afraid to like, sometimes threaten maybe a takedown. I'm not saying you got to get it, but you got to keep him thinking about it. And that's the biggest thing, I think, if you're going to try to get a win against Derek Lewis. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that you've got to actually you know, have in your game plan is I don't want to be in the position where I'm carrying his weight. No. Because he is very good at putting his weight on you and stuff, and that will wear you out because he is a huge individual, super strong. So when you get into the clinch with him up against the cage, you've got to think of ways to you, you're making him carry your weight. Don't allow him to be pressing down on you. Don't allow those things to happen. Early in the fight, just pick your spots, be smart about it, and keep yourself safe from all that power that he possesses. But this is a good matchup. It's a fun fight. I think that, you know, Dacus has a good chance based upon his technical skills of getting a win. And Derek Lewis always has a chance. One shot is all it takes from him. That's true. Uh, the next fight on the card, the co-main event, Stephen Thompson versus Bilal Muhammad. John, there's been a lot of talk right now about <clears throat> how Bilal Muhammad's been given all these opportunities, hasn't been, hasn't been able to seize any of them really, and they keep pushing him to the forefront. And that Stephen Thompson, because he is a little bit older in age, not getting the opportunities that he used to when he was younger. But this stylistically is is not potentially a good fight for Bilal Muhammad. I think for anybody that fights Stephen Thompson is not a good fight for him. It's hard for people to understand how difficult it is to be in the cage with a guy that, that you know has stand-up in the skills that Stephen Thompson possesses. 
he is touching guys when they feel that they are out of range. And you know what that's like. You know, when you get that, you step into that pocket, you know, I'm in range, I can get hit. And then you do this bounce out and you'll step out and you go, I can't be hit. And yeah. all of a sudden you're like, holy Christ, He's, you're getting hit at a time that it's just unusual for you. It Your senses don't give you that right feeling of safety. And he can come up and touch you. And he, I've seen him do it so many times. Look, Bilal's got good wrestling, but Steven's got very good wrestling defense. He has turned himself into a guy that's very difficult to take down. Has he been taken down? Of course, you know it's going to happen. But Bilal's going to have to work his ass off, and then he's got to he's got to get those takedowns every round. Yeah. Every round he's in this fight for at least three rounds. You got to get those takedowns and keep him down. And we've seen he's not easy to take down. So Bilal's in for a fight. This is going to be a tough one. It's just the style that Stephen Thompson brings, man. There's a reason he's called Wonder Boy. He's unbelievable in the stand-up game. Everyone tries to bring in you know, guys to, to match what he does. Not an easy thing to match. A lot of people don't know this, but Javier Mendez, the the owner of American Kickboxing, he wasn't a, never a Muay Thai kickboxer. He was all above the waist kickboxing. No. He had a yeah. couple boxing matches, but he was, man, he was all just above the waist kickboxing. And so some of the guys that when I had first came in, <clears throat> there was a guy named Travis Johnson, he was all above the waist kickboxing. He was a friend of mine. And he was one of my sparring partners that I had used for a couple occasions, you know, in terms of uh, for getting ready for some fights. It is one of the most difficult things to deal with. The sidekick to the face, the sidekick to the body, the sidekick to the thigh, all the movement, always having to chase after them. And when you finally get a hold of them, it's it's hard to really get them down just because they're they're generally a little bit longer in length. Like in terms of with Travis, he was long and lanky. Stephen Thompson seems to be a little long and lanky for the for the weight class. They're hard. They got a wide base. They're pretty. They've got pretty good balance from all those kicks. They're pretty good at, with their balance in terms of how they defend. It's it's not going to be easy for Bilal. He's got to get a takedown early in the fight. And if he can't get the takedown early in the fight, and he's taking too many shots, just like in when you when you play video games, the power. And the video game starts to go down as you start taking shots. Well, that's not going to change in a real fight. It's the, the reality. Power bar. That power bar, the reality is, is that he's going to end up getting hit with some shots. Bilal is from coming in. He's got to be careful. He doesn't get hit with the big one, though, on the way in. But every takedown he doesn't get and every shot he takes is going to start to make him more tired. Now, Stephen Thompson, I believe, is 37 years old. His conditioning, he was always on point. He's always in phenomenal shape. But at this age is when you start to realize that that fourth and fifth round or that third and fourth round are going to be a little bit harder. Now, I know this is a, this is only a three-round fight, I believe, correct? Because it is the co-main, but they were talking yep. about doing five-round fights yep. for some co's. But th- this being a this being a three-round fight, it's going to be hard for him to dominate Steven Thompson for a full three rounds. He's got to get him down very early. Yeah, this is going to be a tough fight for Bilal. I, I really like Bilal. I love the way he fights. I like, you know... You can take a look at what was occurring with the length when he fought Leon Edwards. Leon was able to touch him a lot and, and give him some problems. Well, Stephen Thompson's going to be able to touch him, and it's how he deals with that because it's it's always the one that you don't expect from Stephen that ends up catching guys and hurting and yeah. putting them on their butt. And now you're you know, trying to get your head above water. Not an easy thing to yeah. do because he's a finisher. When he when he hurts you, he finishes, and he doesn't make big mistakes coming in too fast. So. It's a tough fight. Tough fight for Bilal. He can get it done, but he, there's a reason why Thompson is in that position. And it, it, he's he is in that position where you look and you go, is he the gatekeeper? 
is he the guy in the welterweight division that they're kind of using as the gatekeeper because they're not giving him title, you know, implication yeah. fights. I don't think they believe that, you know, that's a good matchup for him against Kamaru and they don't like the way it looks, but he's kind of like in that position. He's kind of like the gatekeeper. Yeah, I think at a certain stage he's got to just make a choice whether he's just doing it for the money, which he might be, or if he wants to if he wants to get to another title shot because it doesn't look like they're doing him any favors in terms of how to get him to the title. And at that age, you shouldn't expect them to. You know, I mean, they've done it before a little bit here and there, but <clears throat> look at what they did with yeah, the, Glover. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> exactly who I was going to. Look what they did with Glover. They waited and waited and waited so they couldn't deny him anymore. Exactly. So that's going to be tough. Uh, oh. Amanda Lemos versus uh, Angela Hill. Angela, man. You know, look, Amanda Lemos is good. She's good everywhere. Her only loss is to Leslie Smith, and that was when she fought at, at Bantamweight. Uh, she fought Leslie at 135 pounds. <laughs> Leslie is known to be able to just bang on people and be that grinder that keeps that pressure on you, and that got Lemos out of there. But other than that, She's been fantastic. Now, I love Angela Hill. She's, you know, a great fighter. I don't think she has enough power to make Lemos respect her, though. That'll be the big difference. She's got fast hands. She touches people a lot. She can put the volume on her and continue to move and hit her with volume and get the win. But she's going to have Lemos marching her down, and she's going to have to be very aware that she's going to be fighting off of her back foot a lot of the fight not that she can't but she likes to come forward and if someone's putting her on her back foot that tends to slow down her offensive production that's not a good thing against someone like Lemos this is a, a fight where I look at uh Angela Hill she takes on everyone she's tough as hell this is a tough fight against Lemos well she's an underdog I want to say I thought I saw the betting odds were she was a plus 265 I think is what Angela okay. Hill was. Um, let's go on to the next one. Rafael Sansal versus Ricky Simone. Oh, what do you think? I mean, Ricky is tough. He's got good wrestling. He's, he's aggressive. He comes forward. But Sansal, I think, he's got that higher level of competition. Too much, possibly, for Ricky Simone. You think so? Yeah. Wow. Well, you know, I, I, I look at it, and I think that um, Sansal, he's getting older. Yeah. Let's just be honest. He's been around a long time. He's been fighting a long time. He's a, he's been a great fighter, but he is getting older, and Ricky's faster. And I think that Ricky has got that dog in him. I, I personally think that Ricky's going to get this fight. I think this is a good matchup for him. I think that Ricky will eventually get into uh, getting him to the ground, and once he gets him on the ground, not that a Sunset doesn't have a very good you know, ground game, good submission uh, you know, skill set, but... Ricky's not going to fall into those. I just look at Ricky's a grinder, man, and that pressure, especially when you're getting close to 40 years of age, yeah. it's hard to deal with that pressure. And if you can't hurt it and make it slow down, it just keeps on, you know, piling up on you. And so I think that this is actually a good fight for Ricky to have, fight a guy who, as you said, he's got a great fight record. He's fought a lot of the top names. He's got a top name himself. I think this is the one that Ricky gets that – Helps him as far as his next step in his career. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Diego Ferreira versus, uh, how do you say his name? Matisse uh, Gamrot. Yeah, but Gamrot. He's tough. Oh, that dude's good. He's good. So <laughs> no, not that Diego's not, but, man, I'm just, uh, I'm telling you, Gamrot is good. You talk to people. He's out of, uh, you know, 
obviously from Poland, but out of American top teams, and they all talk about him like, oh, dude, that guy is a fucking stud. And uh, Diego needs to really work at taking him down in controlling position. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that with Gamera. This is a, another one of those fights. I think, uh, I think where where is uh, Diego in the in the standings as far as I want to say he's like number nine somewhere in there. Is that where he's I at? Think so he might have dropped out out of the ten, but I think he's still in number nine, somewhere in that mix. I know he's above Gamera, right? Yeah. Uh, which uh, where are the? It's right there. He's the number light. twelve. <clears throat> Lightweight. Yeah, he's yeah. number twelve. And then Gamera, Gamera's not even Gamera's not even in there. <clears throat> yeah, well I think Gamera might be uh it's a good fight for him to possibly get into those rankings. Yeah. He's gonna be a it's a tough challenge. Not you know, again, Diego, very good everywhere, has got you know great skill set, very good on the ground, he's got good stand up. Gamera's got that got power. Mm-hmm. Power changes everything, man. You get hit with that power and you start to back off a little bit. This is one of those fights. I just I think the Gamero is going to be uh, moving up in the rankings. It's going to be a tough. Like, Diego, he's good all the way around. He's someone that can take some shots. He'll deliver some shots. He will get. He could get this fight to the ground. His submission game is good. He's good on the top position. I mean, he's just going to have to use all of his tools to get this to win this fight. Yeah. That's really what it's going to come down to. Ah, uh, going to the veterans, man. Cubs. You talk about using all the tools to win the fight <laughs> this is the one i love this one so cub swanson and darren elkins both those guys have got some miles on them they've both been around for a while but they're always fun to watch they always both bring it and they always leave it all out there man and so when you're talking about a fan favorite fight this is one of those fan favorite fights to watch oh my god this is you you, you what do you say about darren elkins what can you say he's crazy He's crazy. The, <laughs> the dude's got it. damage tattooed across his chest, yeah. <laughs> right? Just crazy. But he's he's one of those guys you know. As this fight starts, Cub Swanson's going to start lighting Darren up. But it doesn't matter because yeah. he's still going to be there. And if Darren can get his hands clasped around Cub Swanson, things are going to start to change in the fight. He's got that pressure. He's got that ability to accept damage and continue on. He doesn't let him stop. It doesn't. It doesn't stop him in what he's going to do. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't lose faith. He just continues the grind of what he does to the point where, eventually, he grinds you into the canvas. He starts beating on you, and you can't stop it. This is one of those fights. Like you said, both guys. You know, a ton of. Uh, fights a bunch of experience cub swanson in the stand-up is just outstanding he's got a very good ground game he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu but darren elkins has got that pressure base can cub keep this thing if he can keep it on the feet he's going to win the fight no doubt about it way better skill set if it hits the ground and cub is underneath him look out here comes Darren Elkins again. Just that guy. The guy you can never count <laughs> out. He's the guy that just nope. like is just a gamer. He's gonna come forward. He's gonna put pressure. Look, when guys like when anybody fights someone like a Darren Elkins, it only takes one mistake. And the amount of pressure he puts on you starts to make you tired. Doesn't matter how good you are, doesn't matter how how much experience you have, okay, and how great a shape you're in. It only takes one mistake as you get tired, and Darren Elkins is going to be there to capitalize on it. We've seen it time and time again, over and over and yeah. over. 
it's the same book, same story, same ending. And when every time he's able to push someone and get them on their back foot and get them to the ground, it's like, oh shit, he did it again. So this it's makes crazy. for a fun fight. Uh, John, is there any other it fights does. on this card on the on the lower level prelims that you're interested in seeing? Ah, scroll down there, Dave. You know, I, I I think Andre Andre Yule is really talented, and he's fighting Charles Jordan. That's a good fight. fight. It's it's going to be it's a fun fight. Interesting fight. It's one of those you never know which Andre Yule is going to show up because he's got so much talent. Mm-hmm. At times, he just looks like wow, he's he's made that step, and then all of a sudden he comes in with a fight, and you go. What happened to him? Yeah. You know, what, where where was the guy that I've been watching all this time and stuff? And he's had his last, you know, couple of, you know, he's he's ended up on the short end of it. But he's good and he's talented. And I just, I want to see if he brings it against Jordan. But we'll see because Jordan is, he's tough as he's hell game. too. It's, you know, he's, he's, he's just one of those tough Canadians that comes in and says, you know, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do. But, you know, I thought. I thought he was going to be the favorite when he fought Julian Arosa. And, you know, I, I like Julian, and yeah. Julian's a gamer. Julian got him. So, you know, this fight with Yule, very similar, very similar body types, very similar the way they do things. So this is a good matchup. It's fun. That should be a fun fight. I was actually thinking the same fight. Uh, all right. Well, that kind of wraps up our UFC coverage for this weekend's uh, show. So make sure you guys tune in and watch that. It should be some fun fights. But let's jump into Jake Paul versus Tyrone Woodley 2. It's on pay-per-view, Do we guys. have to? We have to. <laughs> We don't have to, but we're gonna do it because we're, have to, we're, but T-Wood, we're, going to. we're, D- we're T-Wood friends and fam and stuff like that. We all think in terms of uh, we like him. He's been around with us for a long time, so it's on pay per view. Santa, I am asking for one thing, please. I want one thing for Christmas. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so it I says, know it's bad. It said this is what's scary about this whole thing. Tyrone Woodley 2, pay-per-view price revealed. It says four-fight main card set for December 18th. Oh, sorry, I was misreading that. I was expecting them to say that they were going to reveal the pay-per-view price later. I was like, okay, so here it is. $59.95 is what the price is on it. $60. I remember. I remember when the Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao fights were $60. When they were $59 something. No, it was $100. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I remember when their fights used to be. Oh, their fights, but when they fought each no, no, other, not when they're fighting. No, no, not when they fought each other. Sorry, I want to make sure that was clear. Yeah, that was a hundred dollar pay per view. No, I remember the old school De La Hoya, the Felix Trinidad, oh, yeah. the, all Absolutely. those fights back in the day. They were like fifty. It used to be all forty nine ninety five. Forty nine, then it went to fifty nine or something like that. Now we're talking this kind of money for. I, a guy who Jake has Paul and for, 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 for guys that are zero and one and two and zero or whatever it is. I think is what it is. Correct? Isn't Jake Paul two and zero? Uh, three and zero. I think he's three. Is yeah. he three and zero? No. Okay. Yeah, three and zero. Isn't he three and zero? Well, oh, he's got. He had his one against the, the internet. Four, this four is, four he went against Ben Askren. He beat Nate Robinson. Beat Ben. Oh, four. was four. was the Nate Robinson one that was his pro debut? That's second. Yeah, that was the second. No, that his his other one was a. Uh... No, it was Ben Askren was first. No, 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 no. I for I thought for pro had... debut was Ben Askren. No pro. De- no, that was that was his third fight. They can't, oh, that was a pro fight. That was a pro fight. Wow, I, I, I thought good. I thought the uh, Edson Gibb and the Nate Robinson were uh, amateur, and then I thought nope. I thought Ben Askren was Gibb had actually fought before. Got it. Yeah, interesting. 
It's technically just, three and all because you don't, you can't count Ben as a boxing fight, can you? <laughs> yes, you're gonna have to as a boxing fight. <laughs> yeah, a, excuse me. There was boxing gloves, boxing oh, trunks, boxing geez. shoes, and a boxing finish, and a boxing ring, <laughs> boxing ref, boxing judges, <laughs> boxing ref, boxing yeah. commission. Yeah, it was a boxing match, my friend. Walks like a duck, talks like a duck, my friend. It's a fucking duck. It is a duck. <laughs> it's a duck. <laughs> um, all right. Like you said, I think for you and I, we're on this page of just. Tyron Woodley, just throw your hands, man. Throw your hands. Just throw your hands. If he throws them, he doesn't. He doesn't hold back. I think he's got a good chance of getting him out of there. That's the biggest thing. He's just got to throw. He's got yep. the power. I think he's got the speed. But does he have the conditioning to pull the trigger at forty years old in the later rounds? Jake Paul. This all favors him, knowing that he that Tyron took the fight on short notice. Last fight, he had plenty of time to get ready, and he still started to kind of gas out, or not gas out, but slow down in the later rounds. Just didn't pull the trigger. And that's what I, I'm afraid we're going to see again. I would rather see Tyron Woodley go out there and just throw it all out of the shield in the first two, three rounds. And if he doesn't oh, yeah. work, doesn't get him out of there, then at least in the fourth, fifth, and sixth, maybe you can maybe you can drop him once or twice in the first two rounds. You know, and then we then you can just try to survive in the fourth and the fifth and the whatever up to the I think it's the eight round fight. Eight. Shit, eight I don't know. I, I it's hard to give suggestions because you just don't know where <laughs> Where he got, I just want him to pull the trigger. That's it. Oh, uh, no. It's, I, I look at it and it's, he's, he's in that position where he says he's been training, said he was training before it. Do I believe it? No. I'm not, not buying it. Okay. But, you know, he, Tyron has always been that guy who is worried about gassing because he had gassed in, in some MMA fights earlier in his career. And it caused him, you know, some concern and stuff. So, he's, but I think, you know what, you got to just put a pressure on him. You know, pressure creates situations. It creates opportunities. It will create openings. And if you allow him to bring that pressure, now it's working in reverse against you. Put it in your mind, I'm going to step forward. I'm going to force him onto his back foot. I'm going to make him have to try to counter what I'm doing. And I'm going to pick off of those counters. I'm going to land a big shot that way. Put it in your mind. I'm not walking backwards against this guy. Yeah. You do that. I think you can come away with a win. I could take that. I could take that. I mean, if he gets this win, are we going to see a three? That's the other thing. I think there's an automatic, oh, yeah. there's an automatic rematch clause. Oh, yeah. And if, Absolutely. And if, Jake if, if, if Jake loses to him, though, John, off of a short camp, if you're Tyron Woodley, you're like, nah, I'm cool. I'll just walk off into the sunset. I can retire. I'd, I've. <laughs> If I'm Tyron Woodley, I'm taking that tattoo on my finger and I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing with it, John? Come on. Uh, I guess, you know, hey, so we'll go ahead and tune into that. It'll be on uh, pay per view. I think it's Showtime pay per view is what it's at. I couldn't yep. tell you uh, the links and all of those things, but, uh, you know, check it out. Also, go to ProSMTs.com slash Wayne in. Use the promo code and still pick up one of our shirts there at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Wayne in. Use the promo code and still you can check out all the shirts, all the different colors, great Christmas presents. We want to thank you guys for supporting us and uh, everything. Our subscriber subscriber count is, is heading up as well. We want to thank you guys for that. Share our content and our videos everywhere you possibly can. And we want to thank you for that. Lastly, our Wayne in extras channel. There's a description down below in that channel or in that link, hit that link. That'll take you to our extra channel. We do our Wayne interjection show. That one is specifically just for fans that you guys, it's a separate content that we do just for that channel. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. It's more fun. It's short length, eight to 12 minutes long, 
but hopefully you guys enjoyed that. It's it's a fun show that John and I like to you get to see our true personalities come out. <laughs> so, John, anything else? Not everyone out there, be real, be kind, and be really kind to one another, and we will see you.